You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. That was Sam Wade on his harmonica. I'm Jay Mack in my bunker in St. Louis, and you can hear my, my bluesy companion warbling away on his harmonica. Say what's up, Sam. Hey, this is Sam Wade out in uh, Los Angeles, California. You didn't think I was going to record that part, did you? Uh, I didn't, but that's okay with me. Got to keep it interesting. Make make the audience not know what's going to happen when they push play. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm cool with that. You know, that's that's part of like, you know, we always talk about things uh, that are creative and in, in, in making things. And some of it is just being in the moment, just rolling with it sometimes. Right. Right. If you would like to look up the show, you can do that to tapedex.com. That'll take you to our SoundCloud page. We're also on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes. And then look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash two tape decks. Send us messages. Messages. We actually have a couple couple messages this week. Oh, did we? My aunt Vicky's been listening. My aunt Vicky's been listening to the show. Oh, that's cool. And, and uh, well, hello to Aunt Vicky. And I will say this: you can you can be guaranteed a clean house if you listen to two tape decks and a mixing board. Because my aunt Vicky said she was having so much fun listening to the show that she just kept cleaning her house, and her house was spotless by the because she didn't want to turn off the podcast. I'm like, hell yeah, that's a, that's a great endorsement. That's an excellent endorsement. I don't know that everybody can say that. I'll take it. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, another guy, my friend Jeff, he said he listened to the first five episodes. He said he dug it. He said, keep doing good stuff. He said the sitar stuff goes a little bit over his head, but he was like, I still dig it. I still dig it. We got two kind of ringing endorsements. Hey, man, we can take what we can get, right? I love it. Thanks for uh, for writing in and, and letting us know. Well, Sam, why don't you drop the topic that we're going to be talking about this week? Because I feel like we could maybe talk for three hours about this one. We're not going to, but I feel like we could. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we started talking for quite a bit about this subject uh, earlier um, this week, and we were like, you know what, let's just continue this conversation on the podcast. Um, and we were talking about um, what makes a band good, right? So you think that that's a pretty that's a that, that's a pretty broad question. What makes a good band, right? It's so subjective. It is subjective because it can it can depend on different genres too. But I think that there's some fundamental things about any band that's a great band that are similar, you know, depending on, you know, independent of what instruments are actually in that band. Because there's a lot of things that go into being a band, right? Absolutely. I will say this. um, I'm going to drop the first important ingredient, and then we can move on from there. Number one building block to any good band is a good drummer. Without a drummer... It doesn't matter how good anybody else in the band is. If the drummer can't keep can't keep time, you're you're sunk. And I would know because I auditioned many horrible drummers over my tenure as a, a St. Louis cover band participant. Don't you agree? A drummer can sink the whole band. Oh, one hundred percent. Especially you know if we're talking about a band in the context of of playing live shows, you absolutely are completely reliant on your drummer. He's the one that's going to start and stop the songs. If he if he decides to stop, the song is done. Yeah, you know, 
So you got to have a good relationship with the drummer because he's like he's like the catcher on the baseball field. He's seeing everything in the band and he has control over it because he's the main rhythm and he signals the cues. And I mean, uh, or she, because uh, there's some awesome and amazing, uh, you know, women drummers out there, too. Uh, Unwound is a band that I think of that maybe not a lot of people um, are familiar with, but man, that drummer is amazing. Kid Rock's drummer is a woman and she can flat out play, dude. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, regardless of who the drummer is, they have to be solid. They have to be solid or else the music is going to fall apart. <laughs> well, one thing my drummer, I call him my drummer. I told you this before. I, I feel like at least I feel like some guitar players get possessive of their drummers, even if they haven't played it together in a long time. They're like my drummer. I would say the best drummer I ever worked with. He told me, he goes, we goofed up one time. We were playing the train wreck saloon up here in Maryland, I guess Maryland Heights. You, you know yep. what I'm talking about. Sure. Pretty, pretty nice club restaurant. And we started two different songs. The drummer started the song that was on the set list. I started, started the next song. Oops. <laughs> and it just so happened. I think the guitar player started the next song too. And we looked at each other and he goes, I'm not going to stop. The drummer goes, figure it out. Cause I'm not stopping. Cause if I stop, he was kind of talking over the music. He goes, figure it out. I'm not stopping. And then yeah. afterward, he goes, if I would have stopped, everybody would have known, known we screwed up. But most people didn't catch it because they were drunk partying. I think that I think we did a mashup of Man in a Box and Give It Away Now by the Chili Peppers. That would be an interesting mashup. But it sounded like, you know, something worked out. <laughs> He's right, though. If he had stopped the song, then people would have would have, you know, wait, 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 what's going on? Why did it stop? And it just like loses all the momentum. And it might take you a couple songs after that to get people back in the zone. too. Yeah. So good for him to to keep plowing through. And, you know, good for you to figure out a way to get back into it. You know, that's part of the magic of doing music live, too. Sometimes those little mistakes, you can turn them into something else. and Or sometimes you just let it fall apart and you laugh about it, then you keep moving on, too. That's I've definitely been in some shows where, you know, I remember one time it just four strings exploded off my guitar. Holy at the crap. Time. Nothing I could do about it. Nope. So I just threw it on the ground and kept going. And, you know, luckily we had another guitar player. <laughs> the show must go on. I remember, I remember early on, I I used to work with a drummer. And he would, when his when his foot pedal would start coming loose or moving, he would stop in the middle of a song. Now, we were just playing in church, so it wasn't that big a deal. But he would stop in the middle of the song, and I was I, I was bound by law to continue to play the song. It's church. You can't stop right. singing church songs. You got, I mean, you can't. Oh. And I would look back at him, and I'd be like, because it's <laughs> like, just, I was like, why don't you just keep hitting your tom and your snare and hi-hat? Just skip out. No, no, dude, I can't play. And I was like. I always was like, I will never work with a drummer who stops in the middle of songs. Yeah, I mean that is just a it, it, that's just inexperience talking. Yeah, you know, someone that needed to rehearse more. Yeah, um, which is important for a band, by the way, is to rehearse together. I feel like that's one of the other most important things with a band is to become a band. Right. Like I know we'll, we'll, we'll jump back into band dynamics and like mixing, you know, um, things together live with rhythm sections and, and, and all the things that make it good. But if you can get all these guys or girls or this, this group of people to follow each other, like if you feel like a unit and you feel like you trust each other and you know, we're going to go, 
with the music, that is unbeatable in a band. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. All right, do you want to speak to guitar players? Because I feel like guitar players is is a Pandora's box. There's so, guitar players are so easy to find, but good ones, and not only good ones, but good ones that you can work with, are that's that's not easy to find a good guitar player without an attitude. Um, well, that hasn't been my experience, though. I, although I've heard a lot of stories about that, but see, my experience with bands has been different than that because. Uh, when I start something, it's it's usually you know because I'm a songwriter, I usually have several things ready. Um, so it might be centered around like you pulling some songs together that I've written, um, or I've done things like, for example, like our collaborations, where we're two artists that decide to collaborate together. Um, and so I guess that's a roundabout saying is like I I really haven't um, auditioned guitar players before. The only ever time that I've ever auditioned a musician for a band um, was just twice. It was like once a bass player and once for a, for a, a drummer, which, you know, two of the hardest things to find solid, uh, a solid rhythm section on the band, I guess. Yeah. We'll get into bass here in a little bit. Well, my, I guess my experience with specifically lead guitar players is you've got two kind of lead guitar players. And I, I feel like rhythm guitar players are pretty mellow. I'm, I'm a rhythm guitar player. I mean, I do, I can play lead and have played lead in studios, but not live. I'm not good. I'm not good doing that. Never have been. In fact, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to take a little aside here. Uh, we had a guitar, one of my lead guitar players, he was a diva and he quit. <laughs> Cause he wanted to wear a cowboy hat and run around in the crowd when he didn't know his parts. And so we had to kind of take him aside. He had yeah. a wireless. He had a wireless setup. He'd run around on, on the crowd with a cowboy hat and stand on chairs when he didn't know the song. No, you can't do that if you don't know the song. So, long story short, we had a discussion, and he got his feelings hurt and quit. So, um, I had to learn leads and and play lead and rhythm. And I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a lead player. I'm not. And we did. A Weezer song that had a guitar solo in it. I screwed it all up. I started on the wrong fret. And after the song, we got a note handed to the stage, and it was a request. Somebody said, I have a song request. And I, I said, is it for me not to do any more solos? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And I just, I just played off because I, I was terrible. But, okay, so the other lead guitar player I worked with, who was also very good, he he. I mean, he could play Randy Rhodes. He could play Van Halen. He was incredibly good. He had good, great hair. He looked the part. Yeah, but but when he decided he didn't want to participate, good luck dragging that dude out. He would plant his heels in, and I'm not doing that song. And he would pout. What? This is what I dealt with in bands. You're saying you never really uh, dealt with like divish lead guitar players? Oh no, I'm not saying that. Okay, I'm just saying uh, I've just never auditioned. So uh, yeah, I think sometimes I might have been. <laughs> You've been the diva. <laughs> dealing with the lead singer is a whole other type of dynamic than dealing with the lead guitar player. I agree. I agree. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. It's like, I think that, you know, well, I will say this, the last live performing band that I was in, um, we were a band. Like we, we got to know each other um, pretty well. Like we would, we played, we played more concerts for, um, you know, just in our rehearsal space, learning the songs and just working through uh, stuff than, than we ever played shows out just because there's a lot of different, you know, dynamic things in the band. Um, 
you know, the families and sure. and life events, you know, it makes it hard to schedule some of that stuff. Anyway, it didn't make us any less of a band, but those were five guys who had very strong visions, each one of them, right? Um, any one of those guys could go and do their own thing, but we decided to work together. And it was like this meeting of the minds, but also just like, you know, iron and steel like okay bashed out sometimes sparks right? sparks would fly yeah and uh but i think when it came down to it um we would all realize that most of that is just bullshit and just be like okay do you want to just like go back to playing music yeah okay that's cool that would come out mostly when we would be like recording an album or something but uh it's a good group of guys we were called uh saturn five rockets you can still find the music out there on all the streaming services well, saturn I, v rockets i didn't realize it was five guys in that band yeah do check it out it's it's really good stuff it's kind of like cosmic alternative turned up to 11 it's, yeah it's, it's definitely a, um we we tried to make it sound you know we were with well we were all like rooted in this just music you know a band that would have been you know in the out there like 92 <laughs> that's what it sounds like yeah i mean there's a little sound garden in there there's a little pearl jam there's a little space rock sunny day real estate there's some pixies and but there's also like some bowie and the beatles and some sabbath um so anyway, you know, if you're interested, go check it out. It's like stoner rock uh, meets like the Foo Fighters. I don't want to give the impression that every guitar player I worked with was difficult. And and I guess no. I guess part of it was we were doing covers. Yeah. You were doing originals. That's two totally different musicians. Approach. Like when we put out the ad for lead guitar player for cover band, you have a certain type of guy that shows up, a guy who probably knows a lot of songs. Yes. Hopefully he's very accomplished at a lot of different styles. If it's important. You're, if you're if you're doing a, an original project, you can kind of custom tailor the guy's skill to what you're doing. It's not like a cover band where like you can't fudge um an Eddie Van Halen solo. It's it, you can't do it. If you if you play if you play a Van Halen song, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about Van Halen's chemistry later. If if you're going to play like a Randy Rhodes solo, you you got to yeah. nail it. It's so, gotta, you got you to gotta have the, the technical prowess to, to handle a solo like that, which I don't as a solo player. No, I mean, I was like, just I'll play rhythm. And I was like, why am I playing rhythm? You're so good. Why am I even up here with this guitar? And he's like, because we need two guitars. I'm like, whatever. I could never <laughs> I could never hear myself on stage anyway. Do you want to talk about the difference between original bands and cover bands just to like break, break our audience in as to what I'm speaking about? I can tell you the the, the main difference right away. Um, cover bands, people have fun and sing songs and they know the songs and you have a good old time. There's usually a lot of people there and original bands. Most of the time there's like 10 people. Yep. <laughs> so that's a big difference right up front. Yep. Um, but, uh, one of the best shows that we ever had as a band that, that band I was talking about, uh, was when we did a show where we performed as the flaming lips. That was an amazing oh, show. That would be amazing. So um no so so we performed as a flaming lips for this thing called uh, in undercover weekend um where it's uh you know three nights of local bands that perform as another band and there's only two rules you it's it's a set of this band song and then you can either do it where you recreate the band uh, and become them or you can do it in your own style so we decided to do it in our own style um, so we did it and like we were more like shoegazy stoner rock at the time. So we decided to do all Flaming Lips songs um, pre uh, the soft bulletin for the most part. So like this 90s, like weird stuff that, that they were doing. 
and uh, and we did like race for the prize um and uh, the wand as like the, but those were the most recent but it was a good night because everybody was into it and we had like confetti cannons and i wore a cape and we had like <laughs> we had this blow up clown doll that for some reason was very excited if you know what i mean and he oh was just lord like, like, <laughs> because the finding loops has all these like really weird things that that on stage and like big you know giant stuff so we try to create a little bit of that atmosphere. yeah yeah that's kind of that's kind of the thing they they yeah they're very i wouldn't I don't know if theatrical is the right word, but if, if you were on if you were on ecstasy, I think you would enjoy the Flaming Lips show. It seems like because it's very colorful, very exciting, very it's almost kitty, but it's not. Have you ever seen them live before? I've seen a concert footage, but I've not actually seen them live. I've been to their show. I've been to two of their shows, um, and it is an experience like nothing else. Like it is out of this world, dude. I saw them at the pageant in St. Louis, which was really cool. My friend Catherine uh, loves the Flaming Lips. She's a huge Flaming Lips fan. Oh, they're they're amazing live, man. They would they have like the first song. There's like thousands of balloons falling from the ceiling while this giant um, light wall is displaying these weird psychedelic images, and it's Wayne Coyne walks out inside of a giant hamster bubble in the audience like it's insane <laughs> so you so you performed as flaming lips but as a as a as like a grunge flaming lips low, yeah low budget flaming lips i'm talking like confetti cannons with okay crazy. okay well that that i mean yeah. I, that's 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 a cover band imagine imagine doing every song you have to recreate a, a band sound i wouldn't say it's an art form but it's it's tricky and one of the things i had to learn as a singer is i couldn't try to sing like everybody that i was covering because it's impossible i had to do it my own way sometimes um and that's that makes a lot of sense and i think that it's better to to do to relax into what you can do within your your abilities and your wheelhouse to where you feel confident in what you're doing it's better to do that than to try and be another artist if you don't have that 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 ability on that specific song because then it's going to sound like shit <laughs> Yeah, and there were plenty of times where I sounded like shit. There was also some time. There were a lot of times I sounded good, but early on, I would be like, "Let's do that song. Let's do that song. Let's do that song." And I was, of course, the singer, which we're going to talk about next. We're going to say yeah. ba- we're going to say bass player for last. I guess we could just move into singing right now. Sure. Um, singers are notorious divas. I was told by the guys I worked with, "You are the easiest going singer we've ever worked with, and you play rhythm guitar, which made me much more valuable." I feel like I could not get a job in a cover band as a vocalist alone because I, I have too many limits. I can't do Journey. I can't do Zeppelin. Aerosmith can be tricky for me. Like really high register uh, vocals. Right yeah, there. yeah. So as, as a cover band singer, I'm not going to make it right um, on my own. But with the rhythm guitar, people were like, hey, let's get this guy in the band. So I think yeah. I think I worked so hard because I realized how compared to the other cover band singers around St. Louis, I was, I was coming up about uh half an octave short. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's, I mean, like, Brian, right. Brian Johnson, Robert Plant, Steven Tyler. I mean, those, th- these guys are not easy to emulate. No, I mean, that's a whole different type of, of singer. That's, that is a job for someone that their instrument is their voice. Yeah. And there's a difference in um in just the way that the artist works depending on uh, each person's skill set you know that that's why when you get like a certain mix together it's amazing the magic that can happen you know for example the beatles i mean each of those guys that were part of that 
were capable of so much on their own and they have since then that's that special recipe but you had the same thing that happened um with with bands that uh have like brothers involved like the beach boys or you know other siblings or you know uh oasis is another one we should talk about that maybe a little bit too we're going to talk about that at the end where we talk about can you be in a band with people you hate <laughs> and still be an that's awesome right. and still be an awesome band well yes oh that's fine it doesn't matter so cool. so the thing is as a singer i was always i felt i was measuring up to other people who their voice was their instrument like okay frank sinatra uh chris cornell name sammy hagar name people who are literally their voice is a powerhouse doesn't matter what genre yeah. i i mean if if I wanted to be in a band, I'd I'd be in the Red Hot Chili Peppers because I can do Anthony Kiedis. You know what I'm saying? Anthony Kiedis is yeah. I can do Liam Gallagher most of it from Oasis, but sure. I feel like the the true the true vocal artists are just by in by nature divas. Would would you not agree? I not maybe not all the time, but I would say, I mean Axl Rose. The list goes on and on and on. People that have incredible voices are usually arrogant. SOBs. <laughs> I'll say that because I don't have a I don't have a transcendent voice. Well, I I don't know. I'm um I def I've certainly heard those stories. That just hasn't been my experience. But again, like I've been doing stuff where usually I'm the lead singer, so maybe 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 ask my my former bandmates that question and see what they say. Well, but here's <laughs> the thing about you: not only are you lead singer, and and you you've got a great voice. I feel like we have a very similar range. Yeah, I don't I don't have any an enormous range. In fact, um my own contention <laughs> or my contention with my own voice is is my limited range. Like it's taking me years to be comfortable with what I can do that makes my voice unique because a lot of my heroes and things that I'm influenced by, you know, could do things all over the map. So it's been a constant source of frustration, but I th I feel like even more recently begin to embrace it for what it is. You know, that's part of the, part of the trick. Well, and I will say this, not only are you a good singer, but you are an incredible a musician over like what, what do you play for five instruments? Like not only adequately, but very well. If I'm in Sam Wade's band, Sam Wade calls the shots. Cause Sam Wade can play the piano, the guitar, the bass. He can sing. He can play harmonica. He can play the drums. Sam Wade calls the shots in that band. I don't see I don't see how it could possibly be any other way. Well, it certainly makes me one of the loudest voices, um, but I like to surround I, this. I don't mean this to sound arrogant. Um, I definitely have ideas and I'm not trying to be arrogant with people, um, but I do have uh, I always have a vision when I'm working on things. So I like to surround myself with with other people that have vision and that are willing to, like, dig in and just make it the best that it can be. I don't know. Is that is that an asshole thing to say? <laughs> no, it makes sense. I mean, dude, the thing is, it's not bragging if you can do it. You know what I'm saying? Well, I I I don't know. You have to tell me. Um, Why well, I, I will say this for a vocalist: when I embraced my limitations, not as limitations, but as what my voice was, and started finding out what I could do with my voice outside of a cover band where I wasn't trying yeah. to sing, sing cheap trick or J Rick Springfield or whatever. Um, which God, I hope I never have to sing another Rick Springfield song. Um, he has his merits. He does, <laughs> but my voice is my voice. And I think yeah. we've done, we've done tracks together, which will, I guess at some point we'll drop some of those on you. Um, where I feel like I really got the most out of my voice by being me, not by trying to be somebody else. 
by using the range I had, yeah. the expression I had, the enunciation I had. Like that's one of the things when I went to a vo- vocal coach, she was like, "You're you're stretching your vowels out weird," and I was like, "So?" She goes, "Well, that's not how you sing." What I realized is I just I stretch my vowels out. I don't know if it's because I've sang with so many Oasis songs or sang along with Lennon, where he uh, would kind of like. Yeah. Let the rain fall as I mean it's yeah, a style for sure. Yeah, so I, I feel like and my my wife always tells me she's like style it your way. Don't try to sound like somebody else. And I feel like once I embraced the limits of my voice, whatever those were, and yeah. saw saw the benefit and the, the merit of my own voice rather than I can't sing like I can't sing shook me all night long, so therefore I'm a terrible singer. It's not true. There's not there's a, not no. not too many people in the world can sing like Brian Johnson. So if I can't sing like Brian Johnson or I can't sing uh Black Dog by uh Zeppelin, it doesn't make me a bad singer. It makes me me and I have to embrace me. And that's the same thing with my guitar playing. I would be frustrated because I couldn't do the things that my lead guitar player would do. And I had to realize uh, this was pre-Parkinson. Yeah, this was pre-Parkinson. You embrace who it. you are, make it you all the way and i feel like maybe i would have been more, more suited better for an original band than a cover band when it all when everything came down to it because i could be myself in an original band where a cover band i had to be like 30 different people on that night it's a good point man and that's a really good thing for um for all of our listeners who are creators and artists and songwriters i've had a lot of contact with songwriters this year like other songwriters like probably a wider pool of songwriters and than I have uh, in a while. And uh, if any of them are listening, especially in any, any aspiring creators or, 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 you know, currently working creators, it's like the thing that we're constantly, that we constantly need to need to remind ourselves of is define what our groove is. Um, now you, you know, it's good to pay attention to, to what trends are and, and you can learn from other artists because there's a tremendous amount of, of, information and ideas you can glean from listening to the work of of other uh artists but when it comes down to it you got to find what your voice is and that's that's part of what we're really talking about here is like embracing that and letting it be what it's going to be you know but you still got to practice it you still got to be good at it you still got to put the work in to hone that thing right but you're going to find out what it is for you specifically i couldn't i couldn't agree more because when i was younger as you know you've heard my my early tapes, I was trying to be like Slayer meets Metallica. And I don't have that voice and I don't have those guitar skills, but I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be Bob Dylan either. I'm I'm not Dylan. It's not good or bad. I'm just not Dylan. Right. And so I had to find my own niche and, and the Beatles, we keep going back to them. That was the most like my musical ability that I could think of the, my, my musical taste added with what I could actually do. And I think that's why the Beatles were such a touchstone for me, because it's like, we've talked about it before. The Beatles songs are not, they don't sound complicated. They are they are difficult to play, but you can simplify them in a way, like you can play Hey Jude on the piano. That's easy. Anybody can play Hey Jude on the piano. And when I realized that Paul McCartney and me could play the same song on the piano and I could I could relatively sing around it, it was like, there we go. That's a band I can do. I I can't wrap my head around something for whom the bell tolls. That Metallica. I couldn't. I could never play like that. I can't sing like that. Find what you embrace it, and take 
your influences where you find them and put it in a pot that you can do. Don't try to be somebody else because if you try to be somebody else, you will fail every time. I mean, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna fail being yourself, but at least you'll fail being you. And you won't fail if you've written songs that you're proud of. That's not failing. No, it's not failing. And you know, one of the things that I think about as you're talking about, you know, you in that time period listening to "For Whom the Bell Tolls," I mean, like, what do I do there? I mean, if you think about it, dude, how how long had you been writing songs at that point where you're writing like these metal songs and trying to write them? I mean, this is all within like a year or two of like deciding you're going to do this, right? Yeah. I would say between my, I would say between the time I discovered guitar and the time I started recording songs like that, it couldn't have been more than a year or two. And it it was, you can't, you can't be James Hetfield overnight. Some people, most people will never be James Hetfield. Isn't he in like in the Guinness book of world records for the fastest down strumming in the, in like a minute or something, it's something ridiculous. Nobody, nobody does. Cool. I don't know. Nobody awesome. does a down strum faster than he does. But you have to find your own way. And, it, well, and, and that's the that's the thing that I want to really point out too is, um, you have to put in the work. There's no way around it. Um, you can have talent, and talent's only going to get you so far. Um. And I've been guilty of this, of relying on talent, but not putting in the work. But one of the things that that I think was ingrained in me when I was young was practicing. And practicing isn't necessarily only just practicing your scales, your runs, or playing with a metronome. Practicing is putting in the work, like listening to your song, listening to yourself play the song, um, maybe recording the song, listening back to what you did, comparing it to other songs that you love paying attention to what instruments they use in the song. Just like try to listen to a different one each time you hear it, you know, things like this help you zero in and find what it is that, that you bring to the table. You know what I mean? I couldn't agree more. And that we will, with that, we will move on to the final or not the final, but the last couple elements of a band. And that is bass playing. Bass playing is the most underrated part of a band. And I, I never really realized that a till I started playing with a good bass player and b till I started trying to actually record good bass parts. If the drums are the skeleton of the band, the bass is the muscle. Oh, I like that. It makes sense. Yeah, man, put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt. The drums are great and the guitars are great and the singing is great, but the thing that really gives it that oomph, that thump, that linebacker punch is the bass. And you don't oh, really bass player that knows when to play and when not to play. Yes. Oh, because I mean I I worked with bass players that would, would turn it up way too loud and it that's all you could hear. And then yeah. I and then at me as a bass player, when I would play in bands, I would tend to play lower because I was self conscious. But then when I would listen back to the re to, to the replay of the, the rehearsal tape, I'd be like, I'm actually playing a pretty solid thumping bass there. It wasn't complicated. I guess John Entwistle was not really a real complicated bass player, but he had a lot of thump, and I'm not comparing myself to him by any stretch of the imagination. But if well, you look- he would do some runs though that were kind of weird sometimes too, like he he thought outside the box. He did, but if you listen, if you listen to the Who, that's not the first thing you hear. That's true because he somehow also was able to keep it in the pocket where it was driving the band, like the little uh, embellishments that he would add served the song. If you're if you're in the studio and you're mixing down a track and you drop the bass out, it loses all the bottom end and it sounds hollow and empty. 
If you yep, put the bass true. in and you mix it right and it's played right, it gives it the thump that it needs. And bass players are very underrated. People always say the bass player gets laid last. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're like Flea from the Chili Peppers. Right. The or ba- or Needles from Back to the Future. That's what I think of every time I see Flea now. I just like think of him in Needles. Oh, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the guy yeah, on Back to the Future. Remember him and he's like, what are you, chicken? That was fun. that. funny. Yeah, he's he's a great bass player for sure. I mean, he's played with a lot of different people, including Tom York from Radiohead. So, and, uh, so if you can get a bass player and a drummer that are grade A, you you are so. I mean, you are seventy five percent of the way there, um, because you can work with an adequate guitar player, an adequate singer. We, we've talked about the Chili Peppers before. Now, John Frusciante is an amazing guitar player. But when you hear the Chili Peppers, you don't hear the guitar. You hear the bass and the drums. And Anthony Kiedis is a subpar singer. He's got great rhythm, but that's all he's got really going for him. I would have, I would rather have a, a really good bass player and a really good drummer in tandem than an incredible lead guitar player. Because to me, I love lead guitar, but I love rhythm more. Oh, that's interesting. Well, it's definitely what I think, um, you know, the the rhythm and the hook are probably the things that um, connect with an audience or a listener um, most instantly. They do. If it's got a good rhythm, it's got a good beat and you can dance to it then, uh, or if it has something that gets stuck in your head, like an earworm um, or also called a hook, then uh, you're probably doing pretty good because that's like least half the battle right there. And I will say this uh, member of the guitar player, I said who quit because he got his feelings hurt. Yeah, we he was a crappy guitar player. But we had such a good rhythm section. It didn't people didn't stop dancing. And I'm talking like from a cover band perspective. And frankly, when we went into the studio to record some demos, I was able in the studio to to, to replicate enough of guitar parts in the studio to make it sound good. Live, the drummer and the bass in the in the, my band, the Stash, was so good that people still came and saw us even with a mediocre singer like me and a crappy guitar player because the <laughs> drums and the bass were so freaking good, dude. And, and I mean, I wish you could have heard these guys. They were just, just balls out. That makes a lot of sense, man, because again, uh, you know, a rhythm section is so underrated in a band. Usually not, not if you're in a band, not if you know what's up, you know that that is a key component of, whatever you're trying to do live people don't normally notice it unless if people are doing like a drum solo people yeah. love that but they're not thinking about like the way that they're just locking down and they're the glue to keep things together and by the way i include a piano um or at least i like to play piano like it's a rhythm instrument like uh, unless it fits the main instrumentation for a song I always feel like a piano should really be a driving force because it's so percussive. Like it's hammer, it's it's a hammer hitting strings. Like it is, it is a drum in a way. It's just a drum with a tone, you know. Well, I'm reminded of some of Elton John's early work. Elton John hammered on that piano, and it really was a percussive melody instrument. Like Benny and the Jets. Can you imagine Benny and the Jets? Like, how is he not breaking piano strings on that song? He's hitting it so hard, and that is part of the sound, right? Or Crocodile Rock. Yeah. <laughs> la, 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 la. I've spent enough time talking about bass, guitar, drums, and vocalists. Why don't you talk about the extra instruments? Because I've never had the privilege to play with piano or horn players or anything like that. And those, 
to like funk music, those are very, very important instruments. Or, I mean, gospel music, country music, pianos and horns and that. How do you fit that in the mix? Because I never had the opportunity to work with anything like that. And I frankly, I would, I probably would have been intimidated by it because I wouldn't have known how to fit it into my the cover the cover scene. Well, I can only tell you what my experience is. Um, and that, and like, when I listen to music, the way that I create it and I approach it is um, kind of like a composer. You know, some of my earliest, this is going to sound so pretentious, but some of my <laughs> earliest uh, influences um, was was Mozart. And it's because I, I still have this cassette tape, dude. There's this cassette tape. It's called The Best of Mozart. It was one of those ones in the early 80s where you, you probably didn't cost a ton of money. And it had like a bust of Beethoven on the front. And it was, or I'm sorry, of of, of Mozart. Um, that would be low budget if it was Beethoven. It was a Mozart. <laughs> I got the wrong clip art. <laughs> I have to go check it now. Maybe it is. Anyway, it had just like some of his, uh, it was like the greatest hits. And I would listen to that a lot. Um on the on my tape player and i was really young so it just kind of worked its way into my my brain so i listened to how things interact and the other thing for me was there was this moment where my dad really encouraged me to pay attention to what each instrument was doing in a song when i listened to it like try to zero in and hear what each thing is doing to make a picture for the whole so for me when i'm producing something or arranging something it's like it's like painting a picture and this is something i've heard a lot of people describe this as but it makes a lot of sense to me right it's like painting a picture and you have like all these different elements that kind of work together play the little piece now that was something that i had to learn because when i started first playing with guitars for the longest time for years i'd only been it's just me and a guitar mostly playing my own songs and so I would try to fill in the rhythm by playing a lot of strums or beat patterns and stuff like in my style and my uh, playing style. But what I found pretty quickly is when I was playing with a drummer and a bass player, like I would be trying to fill in what they would normally um, would be their job to have in the band. I would be trying to do that on the acoustic too. So I'm actually playing too many strums or it just is overbearing. So a lot of it is knowing with any instrument that's playing, this is my point is knowing um, that just how much to play yes right like letting each piece come together to be a piece of the puzzle to make a big picture of everything that's my best advice for working with other uh, instruments is to listen listen to what it's capable of doing and then try to simplify and simplify and make it all fit together well can you speak to your experience playing 12 million because you were with a whole new group of musicians there that must have been intimidating no, it wasn't intimidating. Um, in fact, it was it was really awesome to to play on stage with those guys. Um, so you're you're talking about uh, in, in in late December uh, 2020. I I, I played uh, at this festival in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, it was a, a a COVID safe zone, and they had all kinds of testing to, just to keep everybody safe. But what it was is it was a benefit for um, live event crew workers who were still out of work. Uh, over 12 million of them in this country that are out of work because of the the pandemic. But for this show, we had written this song um, called 12 million. And uh, hopefully by this time it should be out there. I think it's a, uh, I think it should be up online by now, but for the show, the house band were these tremendous players, dude, like collectively the people playing on stage, you know, have played from anybody with uh, Emmy Lou Harris to Cheryl Crow and, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit, 
you know, um, the who, uh, and honestly, I just, you know, I arranged the, I, I wrote the song and I wrote a basic arrangement for it. And then it got sent out through our, our music supervisor, also the co-writer of the song, Keith Levinson and, uh, oddly freed, um, was the music director and all those guys just worked them up. And I just walked on stage and played the song with them. And it was just like, it was such a joy because everybody in that band was ace. Dude. Wow. Like, they were just in the zone immediately. Like we had the like singing along on the song. Background uh, singers. Yeah, I mean, and they're amazing in their own right. The the McCrary sisters. They were up they were up on the in the balcony singing, right? Well, no, they were on stage. The the McCrary sister, it's a four piece uh like gospel quartet of sisters. They're just amazing. And then up in the balcony, then up in the balcony of the Ryman, because there was no audience. Up in the balcony of the Ryman were, um, uh, like, I, I think it was an eight-piece choir to where the total number of singers singing backup was 12 to kind of honor the 12 million. That's amazing, dude. I mean, dude, it, it, sounded, it sounded so good. People need to go look it up. Can you tell them where they can find that? Yeah, it's on it's on YouTube, um, but an easy way to find it would be to go to um, – samwademusic.com which is my website for my um my solo stuff and my my production so samwade music should have a link to my facebook page or you can go to um facebook.com slash uh samwade uh songs and you can find it there it was just amazing to watch you guys coalesce like that musicians who had only known each other for what two three days you were only there a handful of days yeah man i mean um because it was in the middle of a pandemic we didn't really like get to hang out and get to know them that well so i mean really like my my connection with them was and this is actually cool thinking about now was through the music we didn't have a lot of conversations i did talk to um, our amazing drummer uh, for that night for a little bit after the gig but for the most part we just tried to respect each other's distance so it was through the music like playing it like we just had a a language because they know it you know those guys those guys are pros pros amazing all right so we're going to talk real briefly because we're actually running out of time for this week's episode about band chemistry and we're going to probably do a whole episode about this because this would be fascinating to to discuss do you feel that it's necessary for band members to like and get along with each other because i can think of many bands that do not like or get along with each other Yes, I do think it's important if you want anything that's going to be long lasting. I would say yes to that in the short term, but some of the bands I'm thinking of have been around for a long time. I can drop some names on you if you want. Uh, Of course, Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen died, but David Lee Roth and him never got along, and they made a lot of really good records together. Whatever you think of David Lee Roth um, and his antics, him and Eddie butted heads from day one, and yet they still managed to make at least six really good albums together. But I would say I, that that's an that's an outlier. I feel like if you don't like each other, you're you're shortening your your time span and your chances of getting popular and your music getting out there. But I'm, I mean, I know you can think of a band off the top of your head where the guys in the band don't like each other. Maybe they broke up, but they had like a long run before they broke up. Well, I think that there is, um, I see like two, and I'm sure there's more levels of this, but two specific avenues of a band to answer that question. Because one of the things you're talking about is a band that has gotten so tremendously large that it's it's a brand too. 
So like if you have, you know, Van Halen, it's like internationally known multi-platinum selling thing that has become a company. Metallica is the same way. They may not get along, but they have enough insulation with how incredibly successful they've been at their, for their hard work um, to be able to distance from each other when they don't <laughs> like that. And I know there's a lot of stories like that with a lot of famous bands. What I was meaning though, when I said, if you want a band to hold together, it's like, I think of I think of that film, that thing you do. Great movie. Great one of my favorite, absolute favorite movies. Um, oh my God, can you imagine if we could just get they had that conversation with Tom Hanks? It would just be amazing. You know, that movie's awesome. But uh there's a scene in that movie, if you if you remember where uh the drummer Guy Patterson goes to this uh blues club for the night and sitting over in the booth at the end of the night is his hero. Del Paxton. Yes, I remember that. Right? And he goes over and he's completely wasted and he's looking like a fool. But one of the things that Del Paxton says in the movie, um, you know, this character guy, the drummer, is talking about how his band's falling apart, right? And and Del Paxton, this old jazz player, been around, seeing the world, is like, man, you can't keep a band together, mm-hmm. you know? And he's like going through, like, you know, basically says, you don't know if you can hold it together or not. But I think that if you're someone that's just, if you loving, if you're loving what you do, and so much of this is like a passion um, to make these things, to to drive through where you're playing, you know, you're selling tickets to your friends, you're touring around the country in a 15 passenger van if you're lucky, making enough just to get to the next town, you know, you gotta love what you do, and if you are, if if you can be in agreement with each other and be friends, that's gonna override all the other craziness that happens along the way that's the only way to stay together i will say this i would much rather be in a band with guys i like and enjoy being around i was fortunate for the two projects that i was involved in for an extended period of time that for the most part we all got along even with our idiosyncrasies because it's just like anything you're gonna butt heads that's part of being alive and if we wouldn't have liked each other the band the and we were cover bands we wouldn't have played nearly as many shows as we did but i think we should leave it there and pick up our discussion next week sam wade on we can make a list of bands that got famous and either hated each other before after or during and managed to hold it together enough to get dump trucks full of money pulled up to their house yeah and we should talk about uh bands that were siblings that correct that uh, collaborated as well yeah, that there's more than one band I can think of in that category. Absolutely. There's a lot of them. For two tape decks and a mixing board, I'm Jay Mack. And I'm Sam Wade. Saying, stay, stay cosmic. cosmic.